The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Yesterday at the pork dinner, I had the chance to speak to a son of this congregation, actually a son of one of the former pastors of this congregation. Uh, this fellow's father was pastor here in the 1940s, between the years of 1940 and 1950. There's always interesting to hear stories from the past in our congregation. In fact, lately I've been thinking how beneficial it is to chronicle the history, not just sort of the big scope of history in our church, but even the details, the things that we need to remember for the future, the things that will benefit our children and grandchildren. And in talking to this fellow whose father was a pastor so many years ago, he thought right away of a story to tell me. He was young at the time. I think he uh, was from the ages of 4 to 14 before he left. So he doesn't remember too much, but he remembers one thing vividly. World War II, of course, was going on just wrapping up uh, in the 1940s, first part of the 1940s. And there were two sons of this congregation who died in World War II. This fellow remembered the funeral of one of those men. And what he remembered about it, this is, was startling to me and stunning. He was eight years old at the time. He remembers that at that funeral, for this poor fellow who left behind a wife who was pregnant, dying in World War II, he remembers that they sang this hymn, the hymn of the day for today, what God ordains is always good. And when he told me that, I thought, well, shoot, I've got to talk about this in my sermon now, because we're singing it today. What God ordains is always good. Now, it would be really interesting, and I would love to know the mood and the tone and how people felt at that time, at that service, 1944, at that funeral service when they sang this hymn, What God Ordains is Always Good. But the reality is that you cannot sing words like that, What God Ordains is Always Good, on such an occasion, such a tragic and grievous occasion, unless you have faith. You cannot say what God ordains is always good in the face of death and misery and loss and an uncertain future. You cannot say that unless you believe God's promises. 
Now that is our heritage. That, those are our roots. They go way, way back. And I thank God that he has preserved faith in this place by his word for so many years. What was begun so long ago continues even now. What God ordains is always good. Words that we can sing today, that you can sing today in spite of whatever you might be facing in your life. Now you cannot say it uh, in sort of a resigned and fatalistic way the world might think of it. For instance, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do and I might as well just grin and bear it. That's not the tone of this hymn. What God ordains is always good means that whatever you're facing, whatever grief or tragedy or loss or suffering or pain or sorrow, whatever it is, uncertainty, despair, distress, affliction, whatever it is, it comes from the hand of your God and Savior. And that means that although it feels painful for a time, it is meant for your good and you can be sure of it. You can be sure of it. And so sing. What God ordains is always good. In fact, think of it this way. Not only is it only by faith that you could sing those words, but also, what a marvelous thing is it that faith results in words like that. Think about how the world thinks about sorrow and tragedy and grief. Think about how the world thinks about worry. Jesus said it in our gospel lesson today. The world seeks after these things. The Gentiles, the ungodly, the pagans, they worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. And they fret and fret and fret in this life. And they have good reason to do that because they have no hope. It's all going away. They know it. They know it and that is why they worry. But not so you. You who believe in Jesus, you who trust in your Heavenly Father, you who have the promises of God, you know that although you see this world fading away, and even your own flesh fading away, you know that God has something in store for you far better than anything this world has to offer. You know that what God gives you is always good, and the goodness is only increasing better and better and better until that last day when you live not only in goodness, but in perfection and joy. Faith is what lets you sing those words. Faith is what let this congregation sing those words so long ago. What let that poor widow sing these words. What God ordains is always good. And faith is what we should seek. We gain it by hearing God's word. And it is today for you the antidote, the cure to worry. That's what Jesus is teaching us today. You heard it again and again. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Don't be concerned about worldly things. Oh, you of little faith. That's what Jesus says. If you worry, it's not a problem of lack or scarcity. It's a problem of faithlessness. If you worry. Which is why at the end of this story, the call for you is to repent. It is to turn away from your worry and to put your trust once again in God. But look at how Jesus deals with worry. He starts out with this very simple phrase, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That is the starting place for our sin when it comes to worry, thinking that the trappings of this life are all there is before us. Why do you worry about those things when there are more important things to think about? Why do you worry about what you're going to put in your bellies when you should instead be thinking about what you put into your hearts? Why do you worry about clothing that wears out that grows tattered and faded when you should be thinking about the clothing of righteousness. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Really, these things, the things of this life that tend to distract us with worry, they are just that, a distraction. A ruse by the devil. He's throwing up flares and smoke screens to try to get us to take our eyes off of what Jesus says is the most important thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. All those other things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let your devotion to God and your love for your neighbor, let that be what governs your life. Let that be what occupies your minds and your hearts. Let that be what you put your attention to. And God will take care of the rest. He always has. He always has and he always will. So trust God. Jesus goes on, though, and he says, even if you have trouble trusting that there's more going on than food and clothing, you know that it is senseless, senseless to worry. It's senseless for several reasons. First of all, look at how God takes care of this world. You don't worry about the flowers. You don't worry about the sparrows. Your worry does not take care of those creatures of God, and yet he does. He clothes the lilies of this field in more splendid clothing than Solomon in all of his glory. He takes care of the sparrows that neither sow nor reap. Imagine that. Just picture for a moment. Before any settlers arrived, before this church was ever here, the prairies around this area covered with wildflowers, with you know, bison grazing off in the distance, and not a soul, not a person, to observe them. All of those beautiful flowers planted in all of those natural gardens by whom? By God. All of those beautiful flowers arrayed in beautiful colors, painted by your Savior. You didn't see them, nobody saw them, and yet here they were because God delighted in them. God cared for them. He saw them live, he saw them fade from the beginning to the end of their life. It was his care that made them beautiful. If God so delights in things that are here today and gone tomorrow that only he enjoys, how much more will he delight in you, his children? His children. A father takes care of things in his home because he likes to have things ordered and neat. Not this father. I'm not very good at being ordered and neat. But fathers tend to do that, right? Organize the garage, put things in there where they belong, clean up after yourself because it's nice to delight in things being orderly. But how much more delight is there with a father in his children? In his children, who are his own flesh and blood, whom, for whom he would give his life, for whom he would spend everything that he's got how much more does God delight in you than he does in the lilies of the field and the sparrows? He loves you. As a father loves his children, he's willing to spend everything for you. Look, he painted you, not with colors, or, or glorious colors, but with the blood of his own son. So you have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear, nothing to make you anxious or afraid, because God is the one who is taking care of you. It is his concern for you that trumps your concern about any of these things. Being worried, being concerned, being anxious is senseless. If God has so loved us that he was willing to give his son to die for us, to forgive us our sins, to call us back to him while we were still his enemies, how much more will he give you everything that you need? He knows what you need better than you do. You think you know what you need, and so you ask him for it, and he says, I actually know. Just wait. I'll give you something better. What a glorious thing. 
And how painful it is that Jesus points out the senselessness of our worry, the futility of our worry. Look, he says, how many of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? You know that. The world knows that. Your worry is actually counterproductive. It takes away your time from loving the way you should, from doing good the way you should. The psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Which is to say, you can have a pile full of nails and a hammer in your hand and you can go pounding away, putting together boards, and nothing will come of it. Nothing will come of it unless God builds it, unless God puts it together. It is senseless and futile to worry because it is the Lord who gives us good things. It is the Lord who clothes us and feeds us. It's the Lord who gives you your breath. It's the Lord who upholds the entire world by the strength of his word. That's something that is so easily forgotten, that none of this would be here. You would not be here. You could not have woken up this morning. We would have nowhere to sit in this church. We would have no church building to go to. We would have nothing beautiful to see outside or in our lives unless God were constantly, continually upholding it by his word. If that is who our God is, then why should we fret? Why should we be anxious? Why should we labor for the bread of anxious toil, as the psalm says? In fact, that's what happens. When you labor for things by anxiety and with worry and with fear, they turn sour. They turn bitter. You scrounge and you scrape and you're desperate and out of breath. And that is why you acquire things, or at least why you think you acquire things, and so you cannot enjoy them. You cannot enjoy them as a gift from God. Instead, look at what you have what God gives to you, and rejoice that that is what he has determined is good for you. Look at the work that he has given you to do and rejoice that he is the one who makes it bear fruit. Look at the neighbors that he has placed around you, the good works that he has prepared for you from before the foundation of the world, and thank God that he considers you worthy to do his work in this world. Receive it all as a gift. And that is how you can have it truly. When you worry and you sweat, and you fret, and you lay awake at night thinking about things that you cannot control, you make them bitter and you turn them, you turn them into something that you cannot enjoy. You turn them to a vapor that just disappears. You hold on to it as tight as you can and then it is gone. But if instead you receive it as a gift, you can rejoice because you know that the giver of that gift is good. But worst of all, Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us that worry and anxiety and fear they're not just senseless and futile. They're not just counterproductive, but they are faithless. And that is why we should repent. There is not a person here who can claim to be free from worry. Sure, there may be some things that you don't worry about, some things that occupy the minds and hearts of the world, and you don't worry about those things, but there is, in every sinful heart, anxiety and fear. And so we should repent. Oh, you of little faith, little faith people, that's what Jesus calls us, little faith people. How much more faith do we need? It's a failure to believe God, to listen to his promises, to trust in his word that makes us fearful and anxious. What keeps us from saying what God ordains is always good. And so let us repent and once again put first things first. Seek again the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen again to God's promises. That's the remedy for worry. It's not reasoning it away. It's not coming up with 
uh, comforting thoughts or expressions or phrases, and it's not securing for yourself the future. It is this. It is listening to the promises of God. Now, God does not promise to you everything that he has promised to everyone in the scriptures. So, for instance, God said to that poor widow of Zarephath, he said, your oil jar will not run and your flower pot will never go empty. God has not promised that to you. You may well one day face a great scarcity and great need and suffering and misery and affliction. Doubtlessly, you will. The days are evil and that is our lot in this life. So what is it that God has promised to you? He knows what you need. He will give you what you need. And in your affliction, he will comfort you. That, I think, is the root of anxiety. That's the root of worry. It's the idea that we are going to face some unknown circumstance, some difficult thing, and we will be comfortless. We won't know what to do. We'll throw up our hands in despair. We'll just give up. How can we endure it? How could I ever handle that? How could I go on? That, that is the root of our worry. Instead, listen to what God says. He promises to comfort you. Think about what that means. Take your worst fear, your worst nightmare, your most dreadful worry, and realize this, that even if it happened, even if it happened, even if you sent your husband overseas to fight in World War II and you were left husbandless, bearing, chi- bearing a child, God will comfort you. He will comfort you. He won't return your husband back to you now, but he will give you just what you need to endure. That is who God is. That's what we call the Holy Spirit. The name that's given by Jesus to the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. And that is where our faith comes up short, believing that whatever comes our way, it is from the hand of God for our good, and that in the face of it, he will comfort us. He will not let us fade away. He will not let us lapse into despair. But instead, he himself will show up beside us to carry us, to restore us, to strengthen us, to give us hope and joy in the midst of this deathly, terrible place. That God himself will do that, as he already has. Look at what he has done. The Heavenly Father sent his Son to bear human flesh. Why? So that he could comfort us in the face of our deepest and darkest sins, our fear of death, our fear of hell, so that he could bear all of that for us and to give us comfort. That's how anxiety works. It is a tool of the devil to lead us away from trusting in God. When you feel yourself anxious and afraid, start with these words of Jesus. Paste these words all over your house. Look at them whenever you need to remember what Jesus says to you. You are of more value than all of creation. God loves you in this way that he sent his son to die for you. He only gives you good things. He promises to provide you with everything that you need, and above all else, He is your comfort, your joy, and your hope. Rejoice. Share that with everyone around you. It's what the world needs more than anything else. And give glory to God, who is our Savior. Amen.